Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to be looking, starting a series today on the book of Isaiah. And it's, it's you know, oddly enough, as, as, as things, as the confluence of time and date come together, another sort of family legacy uh, plays into that, uh, even on Paul's baptism. Uh, Paul's grandfather uh, is no longer with us. He's, he's in glory with, with the Savior. Um, he passed a bunch of years ago uh, from ALS. If you're, if you're new with us, you, may, you won't know him, but you'll hear us mention he's, a, one, he's one of our founding elders of the church. And and, uh, and a long-time long uh, uh, friend of mine and, and of others in, in the church and, you, and those of you who know him. Um, the, th- the reason that, 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 our, that me starting a series on Isaiah this morning and that Paul's baptism was today in the name of Paul, Paul always wanted me to preach a series out of Isaiah. And, and I, this was when I was a much younger man and much less, less adept. And, I, and preaching is still a very difficult process, and it's, it's scary. And, I, and he says, Drew, you should preach out of Isaiah. It's such a beautiful book. There's such great poetry. There's such power and such wonderful, and it would fit. It would be great. And, I, and I'm like, you know, well, that, that, that's wonderful. I said, but Isaiah's big, and Isaiah's powerful, and Isaiah's intimidating and I am just a young man and there's no way that I could do that and I still feel that same way um, but we're going to we're going to tackle it we're going to jump into this beautiful beautiful book of Isaiah uh, and look at uh, look at the uh, the gospel that he is displaying, the, the recalibration that he's bringing to the people of Israel in times of, uh, in times of great dis, uh, disharmony and disarray and uh, bringing them hope. Uh, Isaiah, as it were, is, um, Isaiah is, uh, the most, is the most quoted prophet of any prophet uh, in the rest of the Bible. In other words, Isaiah... People, all, all the other prophets and, all the, and, and other, uh, other stories and New Testament quote Isaiah more than any other prophet. That's the power. That's the beauty. And he was, he was a re- rather accomplished man and very sort of uh, elite and very uh, literate in his, uh, in, his, um, in his day. And so this is why we see the immensity, you know, uh, and uh, we're not going to, there's, there's 60 some chapters here. We're not going to hit all those. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit, and then we'll skim skim skip through. So if I jump around, don't don't go. Well, wait a minute. We were on chapter seven last week, and why are we in fifteen now? That's because we can't get it all the way. But we're gonna give you pieces as we go. Okay. Let's read this first section. Uh, Isaiah one, one through through uh, the next few paragraphs. Follow along, if you will. The vision concerning Judah. And Jerusalem, that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah. Sinful nation, 
a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and bruises and open sores, not cleansed and bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when, they, as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us with some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the guilt of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who, asked, who has asked for this, asked this of you? this trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your, your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals, your, your appointed feasts. My soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of its poetry. Thank you for the message of your prophets. I pray, Lord, that, that, you would, uh, that it would impact our hearts and our minds and our lives, uh, that we are as needy as were the people to whom this was written the first time. I pray that you, would, that you would cause us to treasure it and to hold it deeply in our, in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Becky and I were first married, we, uh, we would pass the time. She, like, she likes puzzles, and, and I can endure puzzles. And so... Uh, uh, but she found a she found a puzzle series that was that intrigued me as much as her. She got to put the puzzle together, and and I would get it was they were they were a series of mystery solving puzzles, um, and so I got to be intrigued by the mystery. And so you'd read a little mystery story, and then you'd put the puzzle together, and then this and then the puzzle 
has clues to solving the mystery. It was a fun little, fun little, so it kept me interested in putting the pieces together because there's stuff to solve. And so I would get the problem-solving part, and she would get the puzzle-solving part, and she liked the mystery part as well. And the, uh, the, 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 the thing that was interesting that was and partly intriguing to her as a puzzle person was that, this, that because the puzzle was to solve the mystery, it, you didn't have a box top for it. What was, what was in the puzzle, you didn't, you'd had no clue of what it looked like. And so you would put the puzzle together blind, as it were. And so you're just sort of, you know, and, you, and it took longer because you're not quite sure what you're putting together. But you, you, can, you can make some connections as, as it is with all. But certainly when you have the box top, it makes the puzzle easier in terms of, the, you know, you know, years ago, along that same line, her family uh, bought a puzzle that had a puzzle on both sides. And all the pieces were the same shape. And then the point of it, and, and, they, and we got sent this in the mail, and they said, put it together, take a picture of it, put it back in the box, and send it to the next family member. We didn't know. We just... We put it, we laid it out, and then we put it, and then we're done. We put it, put it, and then sent it. There's no way. One, one family member actually did put it together, I think. I don't know. We heard about it, but it was, and I'm going, and they said, and they put the time, how long it took them to, there's no way. How do you put, how do you, whatever. Um, the reason I talk about puzzles and the difficulty of that and putting the pieces together it, and, and how when you have a box top, when you have a picture of what it's supposed to look like, putting the pieces together make it easier. Isaiah in this first chapter, in this first section, is giving us the box top. He is putting the puzzle, he is giving us the picture of what God is doing with our lives so that the broken pieces can be put back together easier. A lot of what I do, a lot of, a lot of what I do with people if, if, in counseling or in teaching or in training, is people in crisis, is most of it is that, is that their lives are broken like a puzzle and it's just in a pile of pieces in front of themselves. And all, all that I really do, all that any of us really do with people is help them find the edges and the corners and then put the blues together and the reds and the, and the things that look like words until we can finally get every, all the pieces to s- settle together and then things see, flow more easily, more, more accurately, more peacefully. That Isaiah is taking the brokenness of their lives and the brokenness of our lives and saying, here's how we can put, it, put the pieces more together in the way God is operating in our world. And he tells us, but he's, he's basically realigning us in three, in three different ways. He's, he's, he's telling the people of Israel, giving them an image of who God really is, giving them an image of, who, of what they're really like, and third, of how he's going to fix the problems they've caused. So, who God really is, what they're really like, and how God's going to fix it. Those are the three elements that we see in this passage. Who God really is. He starts off by saying something that in the that in this day and age of uh, in this day and age in ancient in the ancient Near East, this concept would have been somewhat foreign to the people 
to the people of Israel, to the people of their day. You and I throw this concept around a lot. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, when we pray, we often pray how we start out, dear Father, dear Father in heaven. You know, even the Lord's Prayer, when he was teaching them to pray, he says, don't, you know, Jesus was teaching his disciples saying, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's, he's reorienting their minds and our minds to who God really is. He's our Father. He's not a judge. He is. He's not a condemner. He's not a, he's not a creator. He's not a, 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 he's not a master. He's not a, 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 a lord, a king. Well, he is all those things. He is all those things. But Jesus and Isaiah are saying he is predominantly the lens through which we see all those other things. He said he's our father. And even Isaiah, that's where he says it here. He says, hear, O Israel, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children. I'm a father. And I have children. And my children have rejected me. In the ancient Near East, this concept would have been very uncomfortable to think of God in, a, in such a familial way, in such a, in such a, a close-knit, uh, 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 intimate fashion as that. They would have wanted to see God as he, in his distance, in his transcendence, in his glorious nature. And indeed, those things are all true. We're not denying any of those things. But what Isaiah is saying, you're not going to understand the, puzz the puzzle pieces of what God is doing in your life and what we're going to talk about, what he's going to share in the next 60 chapters is, is, is not going to make sense if you don't, if you don't lens, if, you're, if your perspective isn't accurate, if you're not seeing God through the lens of Father, who he is tying his own, his own life up with yours and your life up with him. What, what, what does a, a father do but that? What does a parent do? God also refers to himself as a mother, too. There are other elements. I'm not you know, making an exclusive expression there but he is our parent he is our father and and in that in the, in the fact that he is that relationally intimately connected his his hopes and fears are captured in us and our hopes and fears are captured in him he is connecting himself to our ups and downs to our to our failings and our and our successes in in an intimate intimate fashion relating to us in that way and he's taking the initiative to do that he says, I'm the one that's beginning this process. I love you that desperately. And he says in this process, I am your, I am your father, you are my children, and, and you've rejected me. How does that feel? How do you suppose it feels for an infinite God who loves us with an intimate, deep love to be rejected by the children that he created. I'm sure that there are people right here who have had their own children, your children, reject you, turn their backs on you, 
What does he say in what does he say in this process that you that they have spurned the holy one, they have forsaken the Lord, they have turned away and turned their backs on have you ever had your children? And and maybe maybe you haven't particularly, but do you know people who have? And I'm sure there are people here who have had their children turn their back. How does that how does that feel? And when you hear stories of that happening, when you watch film and read read literature when that's happening, it it, you can feel the pain of it because it's unnatural. It's not, it's not the way it ought to be. That, 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 that the children that we father, then mother, ought to, that the natural response, the intimate response, ought to be that they would cherish, would love, would, would be drawn to, would be in, in, in honor and awe of their father, of their parents. That's the natural, because when it, when, and the reason we know that's the natural course of things is because when it isn't that way, our natural instinct is, to, is, to, is somehow to go, what happened? Something's broken there. And that's what God's saying. You, you think it's natural to turn away. You think that you're, that you think that the allergy you have against me is natural, but no, that's unnatural. The natural process is you all, is is to be turned back to you know even in my even in our own families you know the uh, if my if my kids don't call me on my birthday that's fine they have lives I'll be I'll be fine I'm a grown man but it kind of does feel a little unnatural. Every once in a while, and they're probably all listening this to this right now. So now, sorry, kids, don't mean that literally, but okay. You know, and and I know that's true with my folks. Is that you know my folks' anniversaries next week? If I I want to call them, I want to be there. I want to find a way to honor them in that process. But if I don't, it's unnatural, and that's what God's telling us here. He says, "I'm your dad." <laughs> And you don't even know that I'm your dad. He says, he says, you know, here's the thing. He says, the ox knows, the donkey knows. And, I, and whenever there's a sense where um, I'm going to say this several times because Isaiah uses these metaphors consistently, and he often will bring in the donkey. Um, there's, there's poetic metaphor going on there, if you get what I'm saying. He's saying... Even the ass knows, and you don't. He says, they don't know. He says, Israel doesn't know. They don't even understand that I'm their father, that I love them that deeply, and that when they turn their backs on me, it pierces me. It slices into the heart of me because I made you for me. I made you for us. I made you to give myself to you. And you're cutting into me every time you turn away. But I'm your father. And I love you. And I'm going to tell you some things that aren't. That, and here's the second point. Who, you know, who God really is and what they're really like. Well, what they, what we are really like is... Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. This, from the sole of your feet to the top of your head, you have no soundness. You are completely and utterly broken. 
It's like, and he compares it. He compares the condition of their lives. Into, he compares them to two things. To a broken and disease-infested body and to a city that's been ravaged. Everything that to a city, you know, and, and when I think of this, you know, because of the most recent stuff that's happening in, in the world, I, I think of Kiev. So when it talked about that city that's been ravaged and the buildings and the destruction that's come to the, to the vineyards and to the fields and to the, uh, and to the cities that have been burned, I'm thinking of, uh, of images that I've seen on, on the news of Kiev. Just utter dis- dismay. And to, and to diseased bodies, open sores. How does it describe the body? It's open sores, wounds and bruises. From the soles of their feet to the tops of their head, filthy because they've not been cleansed, open and bleeding because they've not been bandaged. There's no oil to soothe. There's nothing that, you know, and when, when the Lord looks at the human heart, when the Lord looks at you and, and me, when, when, when the Father looks, he says, that's what I see, and it breaks my heart, and it breaks my heart. Even he says, why should, you be, why should you be beaten anymore? The imagery there is that because of this brokenness of the human condition, it's like they're being beaten. They're beating themselves. Why are you, why are you, why are you continuing to do this? Why, are, why, are, why should this keep happening? I don't, I'm, it breaks my heart that you're, that you're so sick and wounded and that you don't know I love you and you don't know that it's because you've rejected me. Your cities are laid waste. It's like, you know, and he, and he refers to them. He says, you know, if it, if it hadn't been for the Lord, if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been for the Lord to save, to save some, we would have been wiped off the face of the earth just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he says, then, he, then, he, then Isaiah, beautiful language, then he, used, then, he, then he transitions from that historical event and then says, oh, let me talk to you, Sodom. Let me talk to you, Gomorrah. Let's, let's look, if you will, a little bit at your lives. That's how broken, that's how rebe- rebellious, that's how sinful you are. And being that broken... And being that under siege, being that diseased and sinful, that's not as big a problem as as what's really the trouble. The trouble is they're in denial about it. They're in denial of their own condition. They don't know. The other, the ox knows, the, the, the donkey knows, they don't know. They're in denial about how completely, and you and I are often in denial about how completely lost we are at times. You know, the, uh, uh, you know a, a friend of mine, we were, we were going to the same conference together. Uh, uh, it was a sonship conference. We've been to them the, the over the years about the grace of God and the, and the power of that gospel to change us and how we live out of our justification rather than, rather than out of our own efforts and a little, little bit more. But we're at a conference, 
And one of the things you could sign up for at this conference, it was for pastors and, and wives. It was also for, you know, for anybody. But he was another pastor, and, uh, and we all went together. And, uh, and one of the things you could sign up for is you could sign up for an hour's counseling session with a professional counselor who's been trained in this material and who is a trained psycho- sci- you know, psychologist uh, in this system. And you tra- sign up for an hour. Part of the fee was you could do that every day. You get an hour every day of the conference. The conference was a week, and so you get one, an hour a day. And, with, and that's a wonderful benefit at such a low cost. I took advantage of it. Becky took advantage of it, you know, and this other pastor. And so we go in, and, and we've already sort of been training in this conference model for a while, me and this other pastor. And so we were going sort of to get the next level sort of thing. And so we go to the counseling, and we come back out, and... Um, and part of the counseling is they talk about some of the lessons and how it applies to stories in your life. And you do a little pre-homework, and it's supposed to be sort of vulnerable and get you very sort of specific. And he comes, and so we come out of it, and, uh, and, uh, and um, we're talking over lunch, and I said, well, you know, he says, how's your counseling going? I said, it was great. I mean, wow, it was great to sort of have the, the information that we're getting kind of in, in, ingrained into some specific areas in my life right away. And then I said, how'd it go for you? He says, well, it's interesting. He said, we shared for a while, and he just listened. And then, you know, I kept sharing a little bit, a little bit more based on the homework, and, you know, he just kept listening. And then I stopped, and then, he, and then there was a big silence, and then he says, you're one of the most arrogant sons of bees I've ever met. <laughs> and you know something? He's right. He's right. But my friend didn't know that. My friend didn't know that. I mean, I guess he knew. I, I'd, been, I'd told him that, not, maybe not in those words. His wife had absolutely told him that. And she told me she told him that. <laughs> but it wasn't penetrating he just didn't know he just didn't see it and it has to be it has to be hit in again you're broken and there are places you don't even know you're broken and it's okay to be broken as it were i mean it's not okay we're trying we're not you don't want to be broken but it's but it's 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 okay to be broken but what's not okay is to be in denial is to go on thinking everything's great I'm pretty good. I'm doing a great job. All is well. Yeah. Isaiah says, you know, you're broken. You're in need of cleansing. You're in need of healing. You're in need of correction. You're in need of being rebuilt. Your cities are, your walls have fallen down. Your heart is a mess from top to bottom. Your mind is a mess from top to bottom. <laughs> You've got darkness everywhere I and I'm your dad and I'm and it's breaking my heart and you're trying and here's the other thing he's and he goes on to say he says uh and and um he says the multitude of your sacrifices what are they to me I have no pleasure in the bo- get in in uh, in the blood of bulls when you come and appear before me in the courts while you keep trampling on all these things, stop bringing your meaningless sacrifices. Stop with your new moon. Stop with your Sabbaths. Stop with your convocations. I'm, I'm done with all that. What does he mean by that? 
He's telling them another, this is, this is how, what they're really like. You go on trying to fix your wounds your own way. You go on trying to utilize religious ceremonies to make yourself appear beautiful, and you keep acting with this facade. You keep coming with this, with this pretension before me. That's what's trampling on the courts of God. That's what's trampling on worship. You, you act like you're getting it together with all this stuff. You're investing in your own ability to try to save and to heal and to mend all your wounds. You're trying to do it yourself, and it's just silly. It's just dumb, and I start, I'm, I'm weary of you continually trying to fix yourself. That's what he's saying. Don't bring, don't come to me with your prayers anymore like that. Don't come to me with your, don't come to me with your sacrifices anymore like that. And, and God instituted the sacrifices. He intended for them to be valuable, to say something, but they weren't getting the point even with the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system was saying something else has to pay for what you did. Something else has to be the cleansing power for what you did, for your wounds. <laughs> That's the whole point of the sacrificial system, and they weren't getting it. It was just this religious observance, and, I'm, and we're getting our lives together by doing all these things. And God says, I'm weary of this. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop with all your trying. Stop it. I'm not going to listen anymore if you're going to do it that way. I'm, I'm done with that. That's not how this happens. How this happens is... Come and let's reason about this. Let me tell you, come, come now, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. What does he say? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like well, this is, he's telling them, this is how it happens. You don't fix yourself. You don't try better. You don't put on a religious ritual to make things better. You don't deny that you're in a, in a problem. You don't deny that your life is a mess. You come with your mess, and I will make you whole. I will cleanse you. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Grace. This is, the, this is the box top. Who God really is. What you're really like. What, how bad it really is. And what he's going to do to fix it. Grace, I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make. And then he goes on to say, he says, and if you're willing... If you're, if you get the grace, if you, if you, if you're, if you engage the actual method, if you, if you engage the grace, if you receive the grace, if you willingly receive the grace, then you will eat the best in the land. And he goes on to talk more about that. There's some really great feast imagery there. But if you don't, if you're not willing. If you're not, if you, re, if you keep resisting grace, there's only one way this goes. You go on being broken, and ultimately it's to utter destruction. <laughs> this is what the Father says. 
But grace is his grace is this is this unknown. It not, grace is the thing that Christianity offers that is that is that is the most outrageous of all things. Grace is every other religion is a quid pro quo. Do what's right, it's a sort of karma. You know, do what you know. What you put in is what you get out. Everything that's the nature of of every other religion on the face of the earth, save one. Christianity is the only one that says you get the thing given to you regardless of the mess and brokenness you're in. Um, years, in years ago, um, the, uh, the um, uh, singer, uh, rocker Bono from U2 um, did an interview uh, in a book, just an interview about his life. It wasn't in any way meant to be religious in any fashion. But he had a little excerpt that talks about this. I want to read real quick. It's a mind-blowing concept that God, that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, you, what you put in comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, physical laws, every action is met with an equal and opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all of that. As, to upend all of that, as you reap, so you, will sow, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which are, the, which are in my case, is, a very, is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And that's between me and God, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be, fine, was going to be my final judge. I'd be in deep S. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The people of Israel were depending on their own religiosity to cleanse their wounds and salve their lives. When the Father says, I will cleanse you, I will do it, I love you, and I want you back, I will put the pieces together if you will simply be willing to engage me with the grace I have for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for stepping in and interrupting with your love, interrupting to tell us what our true condition is, but then how you will save us from that true condition. Thank you. I pray that you might meet us in these places of brokenness with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.